Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We're going to talk about ladders tonight. Uh, And you're going to hear about ladders from someone who's not any good at climbing them. Um, But that aside, uh, I moved into a semi, uh, little semi-detached house in February of this year. Uh, And one of the coolest things about this place, which was built in 1908, so it's got all these cool like period features. It's got these cool metal press ceilings. And in the corridor of the the semi, there's a little trap door in the ceiling. This is my favourite part. And there's this big long stick with a hook on the end. You hook it into the trap door, pull it down, uh, and down folds this ladder. When you climb up the ladder, uh, at the top is this fully renovated attic, basically. So it's carpet, it's all painted, there's lights, there's windows, there's internet, there's electricity, the whole shazam. There's like a a workbench um, and a desk, so you can turn it into a home study if you want. I haven't because I'm not confident to carry my cup of tea up there, which is a requirement for me if I'm going to be doing any work up there. Um, But anyway, it's all set up for that if you want it. Um, And what I love about this ladder is that um, it delivers on its promises. I know that if I'm going to go up the ladder, I'm going to find the storage space and all my stuff is going to be up there. know what I'm going to find at the top of the ladder. That is not the kind of ladder that we're going to be talking about tonight. The kind of ladders that we're going to be talking about tonight are the kinds of ladders that do not deliver, that do not deliver on their promises. Um, They have full of empty promises and they never deliver on what they say is going to be at the top of the ladder because the top never comes. People climb all kinds of ladders, don't they? The corporate ladder, social ladders, Class ladder, financial ladders, religious ladders, academic ladders. Um, And they never end because there's always someone on a higher rung. There's always someone on a higher rung, regardless of the type of ladder that you're climbing. There's never going to be a top to it because there's always someone higher up. So why do we persist with them? There's something in us as people, isn't there, that almost a gravitational force that pulls us towards climbing these ladders. Why do we persist when there's always going to be someone uh, on a higher rung? Our world tells us, if you want to matter, you have to be better. I think we buy into that. If you want to matter, you have to be better. And so we try to climb um, climb to be better than other people on a higher rung than other people. Or even more significant, best. If you want to matter, you have to be best. You're not significant unless you have the best car in the office car park, uh, the nicest house on the block, or at least amongst your friends, let's be real. Um, or look the best at the party. Uh, Andy Stanley, who's this preacher, talks about um, we feel like we matter when we have a bigger-er, when we're smarter or prettier or richer or talented-er or skinnier or nice-er. You get the idea. Uh, C.S. Lewis is a little bit more cutting. He puts it this way. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. If I'm a proud man then, as long as there is one man in the whole world more powerful or richer or cleverer than I, he is my rival and my enemy. Thank you, C.S. Lewis. Now, what troubles me is that as Christians, as those who have heard and responded to uh, the eternal you matter of our creator, of God, when he came down in Jesus and showed us that we matter to him, do we not also get caught up in climbing these ladders? 
trying to outdo each other in order to feel significant? Do we still not yearn and strive and climb and clamour to hear you matter from the world, even though we've already heard it in Christ? I think we do. Maybe not all of us, but I think we do. Why is that? I want to I look at that this evening. Why do we do that? What is the draw of the ladder? Uh, and as we unpack the reason for this tonight, I want to start by recognising the fact that we don't live out our faith in a vacuum. Uh, we live it out in the tension of what is and what could be. Uh, the tension between what is and what could be. The tension between now and not yet. Between justice and injustice. Between healing and brokenness. That's where we find ourselves living out our faith. It's like the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, the tension between our flesh and our spirit. He says, I do not understand what I do, but what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. We live in this tension of being saved and redeemed and forgiven, but at the same time having this inner gravitational pull towards ladders that promise us a you matter from the world. It's the tension of living in the world but not being of the world, of being shaped by God and who he says we are rather than being shaped by the world and who it says we are. Using language from today's passage is the tension between conforming and transforming. The passage we're going to look at is from Romans chapter 12. Um, up on the screens are going to pop, um, is that all right if we flick to the Bible passage? Actually, no. Uh, oh, yes, that's perfect. Thank you. Sorry, Kim. <laughs> I'm going to read from verses th- from verse three um, through to verse eight. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members. Uh, do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now the intro to this section... um, frames up this passage and it talks about this tension that we live in uh, between conforming uh, to the pattern of the world and being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, this tension that we find ourselves living in. And it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. It's the call on our lives. In view of all that God has done for us in Jesus, the call from God is to respond in worship by bringing our lives into alignment with his heart and purposes. Specifically, it's bringing all that he has created us to be, our skills, our interests, strengths, abilities, gifts, our personality, our experiences, our passions, taking all of that and putting it into action for God. It's reorienting, reorienting all of who we are around him, living out who we are in alignment with his heart and purposes. It's letting our lives be shaped or transformed by him. 
In view of God's mercy, this is the call on our lives. And we say yes and amen. And yet, don't you find that for some reason our hearts still listen out uh, for the you matter from the world? What the world doesn't tell you is that when it's calling you up a never-ending, never-satisfying ladder, is that just like listening to God, who God says you are, will shape your life. Listening to who the world says you are will also shape your life. And it will shape you into an up-down, 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 up-down life on a ladder, always trying to have something more than someone else in order to feel like you matter. It's a pretty restrictive way to live. I, um, this, is, this whole um, topic of comparison is a big part of my own story. I had a happy upbringing, but somewhere, somewhere along the line, I, I sort of adopted this approach to life where my understanding of myself, my sense of uh, worth and value and significance in the world was based around um, how I measured up against other people. I don't know if, uh, if there are any teachers in the room or people who were like this when they were in school, but I was that annoying kid in class who always asked everyone else what mark they got. And so I, I would get our test back and I'd be like, hey guys, what did you get? What did you get? What did you get? What did you get? And I was obsessed with finding out what everyone else got in their tests because then I would know how I compared and how I measured up. I'd be able to peg myself. And there was a strange kind of security in knowing how I ran and what my position was in our class. Um, And I was able to measure myself according to my performance and know where I was on this ladder. Uh, So my performance as a result became everything to me um, because it helped me to determine my worth. It helped me determine whether I mattered and so I stayed on the ladder. Um, It's an exhausting way to live, let me tell you. Uh, it was my primary instrument for telling me whether I'm at it. It allowed me to say, yep, that person is doing better than me, so that must mean I'm not doing so great in life. I mustn't matter too much. Oh, but I'm doing better than that person who's down on a lower rung. Yep, oh, good. All right, I feel great. I'm doing okay. I must matter. Um, it was a weird confidence in living that out, in security and knowing my place, um, but it turned out to be holding me back from being the person that God had created me to be and living out of who he had created me to be. Um, If, for example, God has given you gifts and skills to be a brilliant counsellor and to make a powerful contribution to the world in that, but you look around your corporate environment and that's not valued and you decide that that doesn't make you measure up, it doesn't give you value, it doesn't make you matter, then you might bury that gifting and not use it to serve others. You might spend all your energy trying to change your personality and be someone other than the person that God has created you to be so that you feel like you measure up and matter. Now, I've made a bit of progress in this since you're 12, I hope, anyway. It's an ongoing battle, as I think it is for a lot of us. That's why we're talking about it. Um, But one thing that I've learned is that the opposite of being a slave to the ladder in your life uh, is living a transformed life of worship to God. But that doesn't just happen. It happens um, living a life of transformed worship. Living a transformed life of worship to God is a byproduct of a renewed mind. Lives of worship lived to God, uh, sacrificing living for yourself in order to live for God, flow from a mind that's being renewed by him. The way we think determines the way we live. When your mind is transformed, your life is transformed. Where your mind is focused, there your life is focused. When your thinking is reoriented, your life is reoriented. As our minds are renewed by God, so will our lives be transformed. 
Our minds and so our lives are shaped by all kinds of different things. We know this, movies, TV, newspaper, the internet, social media, our friends, our experiences. These are all voices that can shape our minds and therefore our lives. But I want to suggest that one of the most powerful forces in shaping our thinking and our lives in our society today is actually comparison. In verse 3 of this passage, Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God distributed to each of you. One area of our mindset that needs to shift if we're to live transformed lives of worship to God is what we think about ourselves. Now you might be thinking, hold up a second, Paul does not talk about comparison in that verse But let me tell you, or let me ask you, in today's society, how do we determine what we think about ourselves and therefore how we live? Isn't it so often comparison? Isn't it by looking up and down the ladder to see where everybody else is going and how everybody else is going that helps me to know what I should think about how I'm going? It might be your clothes, your house, your car, your school, your degree, the cafes you go to, the restaurants you go to, the appliances you have in your house. You look around and measure all these things compared with how everybody else is tracking. And then depending on whether you measure up or not, you might change the way the clothes that you buy or the kind of house you live in or the kind of car you buy so that you feel like you measure up. And our lives get shaped by looking around us, by what the world tells us. We determine what we think about ourselves by comparing ourselves with others and direct our lives accordingly so we feel like we matter. And to me, that's conformity to the patterns of this world. It's allowing the world, not God, to tell you who you are and determine how you live. We let the world shape our lives every time we let anyone other than Jesus shape what we think about ourselves. And it can go either way. It can be thinking too highly of ourselves, as addressed by Paul here, or it can also be thinking too low of ourselves. Thinking of yourself in sober judgment is not thinking more of yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. To think of ourselves in accordance with our faith is to see that our lives are not ultimately about us. There's a greater calling and purpose into which our lives have been swept, both individually and collectively. Now, working against this great calling uh, that God has for us uh, is the fact that comparison leads to very individualistic living. In fact, because comparison has us focusing on ourselves uh, at the expense of almost anything else, it has a very isolating effect. It causes us to live as little islands who are effectively competing against one another. C.S. Lewis said it, If I'm a proud man, then as long as there's one man in the whole world more powerful or richer or cleverer than I... He is my rival and my enemy. The picture of life shaped by God uh, that Paul paints for us in this passage could not be more different. Uh, It's inescapably communal and collaborative. God's intention is that our lives of worship would work together as one body to show the world what Jesus is like, with each part doing what God has made it to do. Verses 4 and 5, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We're not designed to be comparing and competing, trying to measure up to others and ending up out of shape because we're trying to be like other people. We're designed to actively live out who God has uniquely created us to be, 
so that we can operate collaboratively to show the world what Jesus is like, to be his picture bearers in the world, his image bearers. But when we live as little islands comparing and competing, not only do I miss out on the freedom of living out of who I have been uniquely created to be, others miss out on the joy of collaboration, that's you guys, that's us together, but also the world misses out on experiencing the goodness of Jesus that's fully possible only when we work together as one body. Now, can you imagine a group of friends get together one day, they're at a cafe and they have this idea that they're going to start a small business. One of them is really good at finance numbers, one's really good at at sales and very people-y, one's really good at admin, one's really good at design. Now, what would happen, let's just play along with this scenario with me for a second, what would happen if each of them, instead of playing to their individual strengths, which are very complementary, they compared themselves to one another and tried to be like all the others? How do you think the business would go? Not so great, is my guess. You know, sometimes I wonder in the church, not the church is a business, but if you think about the same principle, I wonder in the church if we all think that there are certain, we all try to be like each other, or if somebody says, oh, I'm I'm the foot of the body of Christ, but I want to be like the hand, or I'm the hand, I want to be like the eye, I'm the eye, I want to be like the ear. The whole thing is not going to function, and we're not going to represent Jesus properly to the world. Sometimes I think we're more interested in how we compare with one another than we are with a hurting world that's crying out for the love of God. Verse 6 to 8, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Use the gift that God has given you. There's a powerful unity and representation of Jesus when each part of God's body plays its part, confident in who they have been made to be and living that out uh, in worship to God. We're made to be orchestra players, not soloists. Each part is needed and none is indispensable. When I was at Bible college, I had this friend who um, was super bubbly, very gregarious. You always knew when she was around. Uh, And one day she got, I think she went swimming at the local pool and she got an inner ear infection. Now what happened to my poor friend was that she just went from being this really loud out there personality to being really quiet. She just sat there and didn't talk to anybody because she was just feeling really unwell. And also her balance was off. And so she just sat there because she got up and probably wouldn't have ended so well. And so she just was really, really different in the way that she presented when she had this illness. Now, I don't know if anybody had ever paid attention to her inner ear before. You know, it's not really on show. You don't really thank your inner ear all the time. Um, You don't really think about your inner ear unless something has gone wrong with it. I think sometimes some of us are the inner ear of the body of Christ and not, not kind of hidden, doing, plugging away behind the scenes, not really seen, not really thanked. But I have to say that if you're, not, if you're not playing your part, if you're not being who God has created you to be, if you're trying to be like the hand or the eye or the foot or whatever, the body is not going to function as it ought. You have an indispensable part to play. So how do we get into this bind with this ladder? What is going on? Why does it have such a pull on us? Even when it means sacrificing who we are and our own unique contribution um, to the great body of Christ and the mission of God. Well, I want to suggest that the greater the pull of the ladder on your life, 
the greater our frenetic desire to hear you matter from the world. What that means is the greater our need to hear you matter from God. If you've got the world's voice turned right up, maybe that means that you have turned God's voice down in your life. Both of these will shape your thinking and therefore your life and probably in direct proportion to the volume setting that you have them on. The world's you matter will stick you on a never-ending ladder that never delivers on its promises, never gives you the abiding deep value and worth that you're seeking. But God's you matter is like rest for your soul. It's inner transformation into a life that's aligned with the heart and purposes of God. It's free and unshackled living. For me, freedom from the ladder came one Christmas um, when God took my eyes off myself for a second um, by drawing them to Jesus. Um, I'm sure that I had heard this in Sunday school growing up, but I was probably too busy talking. And so it struck me this one year that that, uh, at Christmas, God became a person. What? God just and just hit me. God became a person and blew my mind. I realized that one implication of God becoming human was that he freed me from the ladder. He gave me freedom to live my life for him and not for myself. And that's life as it was designed to be lived. Now, as someone whose sense of worth and value came from performing and measuring up, it dawned on me that Christmas. How do you perform for a baby? How can you impress a baby? Does a baby care how you measure up? And if that baby is God, how can I keep climbing if he's already come down? I was climbing, 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 trying to achieve a sense of value for myself but I found it right where I already was because he'd already come down for me to bring me freedom to be who he has created me to be and live my life for him. I don't get my value from how I measure up or compare and neither do you. We get our value from the fact that God considered us worth coming down from heaven and becoming a baby so that he could be with us. That gives us value. I want to tell you this evening that you don't need to climb anymore. You just need to stay where you are, come as you are, and receive him. Jesus went on to live the perfect life, die a sinner's death, and rise again in power to break the the power of sin and self-worship in us so that we might be free to lift our eyes to him for our value and be freed from the impossible burden of this never-ending ladder. When we get this mercy, we're freed from trying to attain our worth by being better than others. God's grace and mercy can't be attained. You can't climb for them. Actually, if you're climbing up, you'll actually miss it because it's, it's right where you started on the ground. The only way to receive it is to simply receive it. You can't achieve it. I want to ask you tonight, what ladder has a hold on you? Is it a corporate ladder? A wealth ladder? Social ladder? Religious ladder? 
What area of your life are you looking to to hear you matter? Can you name it? Would you like freedom from that tonight? Freedom is waiting for you. It's Jesus standing at the bottom of the ladder, calling your name, saying, I've already come down for you. I've done the hard work. No, you're not perfect. No, you're not worthy of my love, but you're worth it because you matter to me. Because you matter to me, you matter. That's why I came down. That's why I lived a perfect life on your behalf. That's why I died in your place. So you don't need to work and strive and try and climb anymore. Would you stop climbing and just be with me? I want to close with these words of Jesus um, from Eugene Peterson's The Message Paraphrase of the Bible from Matthew chapter 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.